This is Reverse Deception Radio on the Veritas Radio Network, Crusade Channel. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Have a holly jolly Christmas. And when you walk down the street, Say hello to friends you know And everyone you meet Ho, ho, the mistletoe Hung where you can see Somebody waits for you Kiss her once for me Have a holly jolly Christmas And in case you didn't hear Oh, by golly, have a holly jolly Christmas this year. Have a holly jolly Before I was born, I'm certain I was fashioned to sing and to sing simple songs. Because I went to church prenatally, and my parents sang in this simple little church. They sang all these wonderful hymns that are very dramatic, poetic, and exciting. What I'm talking about is folk poetry, pure religious folk songs. The basic four-part hymn from which the Hawaiians got their folk music and from which black people got their spirituals. This whole matter of growing old has a great deal to do with one's frame of mind. The mind controls the whole business. The mind controls the heart of the matter, you see. If your mind says, I'm old and crippled, you are. If your mind says, I'm not going to give in to this arthritis or to this stiff neck, then it goes away. It's largely a matter of thought. You make your own reality. I believe that very strongly. If you want to be depressed about the world, that's fine. You can do that, but that will only drive you right down there with everybody else. Soon you'll be looking to alcohol and drugs to find relief. The difference between me as a young man and me as an old man is all a matter of attitude. No, not attitude, intent. Intent, that's a better word. 20 years ago, I liked to go to the nightclubs in New York and have people come up to me and say, you're Burl Ives, the great performer. Much of my earlier life was spent seeking that kind of external gratification, but that's not true today. You see, about 20 years ago, I began asking the question, who am I? Where am I going? What is the significance of life? What is my purpose here on earth? Those are the sorts of questions that captured my attention. I became more and more introspective, so I'm less social now and more philosophical about life than when I was younger. Material things have become increasingly less important to me as I've aged, while spiritual things have become more important. I remember back in 1946 when I ran into a tax problem and had to sell my home and four acres here in California. Friends came to me weeping, telling me that this was a terrible thing, but I recognized even then that the house and all the land were really only on loan to me. That a man isn't here long enough to truly say that he owns anything. So I just say to my friends, I'm just passing through. Don't fret about this. Something else will come along. 
I lost something that appeared to be very important in order to gain something far more significant. Along with the loss of that house came a new approach to my performances. In the old days when I went out in front of the audience, for instance, at a nightclub or concert, I went out with the idea that I'm going to put it over on the audience. I had a planned walk onto the stage. I had a planned set of songs. And I even planned what I was going to do with my face when I'd crack a joke as such. It was well planned. Planned like a good bank robbery. Well, it was all contrived. The only time it wasn't was when I started to sing. Because something else took over, and that something was a form of God-given inspiration, and the audience could sense that. Now, I'm smart enough to know that the only time I can sing effectively is when I bring my mind into a state of innocence. When I'm in a state of innocence, I can walk onto the stage feeling confident that people will enjoy my performance. Now I just go out on the stage. I'm not worried about anything. I've got but one purpose, and that's to touch the hearts of as many people as I can. I let myself go into the feeling of my music and trust that my audience will feel that too. I think that as someone grows older, he doesn't worry so much about what the outside world thinks of him. He realizes not only that it is a waste of time, but that it impedes his enjoyment of life. I'm reminded of a story that my great friend, John Steinbeck, once told me. He was coming down from Sag Harbor, New York, on the train, and sitting in front of him was a young lady and her Tweety pipe-smoking grandfather. All the way down the coast, this young lady was yakety-yak, yakketing, yakking, talking her head off about other people and what they thought of her. When the train finally stopped in New York, the old man took a puff of his pipe and turned to the young lady and said, you wouldn't care so much about what people think of you if you realized how little they care. And I think that's what happens when one gets older. We are smart enough to know that, or at least we ought to be. I think my life has been a long, slow process of trying to move closer and closer to the spirit by moving closer and closer to the heart. I'd like to believe that as I've gotten older, I've gotten smarter. I figure if a person doesn't get smarter, he's doomed. I'm certainly happier now. I have more fun now. I know that I can do without all the material whoop-de-doo that most people think is so important. That is not life. I know that. The heart is what's important. It all comes down to a vibration of the heart. Our hearts are the eternal part of us that goes on and on. I feel very strongly that I am part of the eternal cosmos, that I'm not something apart from the life of this pulsing universe. I am an integral part of it, and I suppose that's why I'm not all afraid of death. 
because I see that my life is just a matter of growing and changing. Everything is changing and creating at the same time. You see, I think disintegration is great creativity. And that might sound a little like Lao Tzu, but I think he was right. Everything is in the process of change. The way I figure it, when I die, I'll simply be changed. I'll be changing a raincoat and moving on to another level because I'm confident that energy never dies. If a piece of wood will never die, this bouncy thing called Burl Ives will never die as well. Walt Whitman once wrote, Out of the ocean, endlessly rocking. He referred to the great mother, endlessly rocking the ocean. And that rhythm is pulsing in all things. Everything has a rhythm. As another man said, the longest journey any man will ever take is from his conscious mind to his heart. So the older we get, the more we grow into life, and the more wisdom we obtain, and the closer we are moved towards the rhythm of the Great Mother endlessly rocking. There are times when I'm not so confident, I admit. Sometimes I look in the mirror and say to myself, now there is a ridiculous character. That's me? That old coot with a beard and that funny look in his eye? Is that me looking at me? There's a moment of hilarity that is pretty wild. But all great comedy is a double-edged sword so that the other side of that hilarity is the sad old face. John Steinbeck once wrote about somebody who saw the great eye of a Chinese man, and as he entered the eye, he found the whole suffering world on the other side of it. So if you look into yourself deeply for any period of time, you begin to see yourself and your follies and the follies of the world. You also begin to see yourself passing on, see yourself dying. At this point, I say to myself, I am not the body, I am not the mind, I am not the emotions, I am spirit. When you can put your finger on that, you can laugh again. Because there is something remarkably freeing and joyful about the fact that every single one of us is a spirit. I always end up with a little ancient prayer that goes like this. One hidden life vibrant in every atom. O hidden light shining through every creature. O hidden love embracing all oneness. May each one who feels himself at one with thee know that he is therefore one with every other. I can't get up as fast as I used to, and I'm sure I wouldn't be able to run much of a foot race. But I figure I'm a little like Tom Paine. It seems that when Tom Paine was a very old man, one of his political rivals met him on the street and began to chide him. Well, Tom Paine, I guess you're about through now, aren't you? You're crippled and you can't see. Tom Paine is nearly finished. It won't be long now. Tom just looked up and said, Oh, you're quite wrong, sir. I admit that the roof of my house leaks in the wintertime and that the house is very cold. And some of the doors do need fixing, and some of the windows are missing. But there is nothing wrong with Tom Paine. 
Carl Sandburg called him the mightiest ballad singer of this or any other century. That is the wisdom of Burl Ives. The words that come to mind, humility, dedication, love, honor, honesty, selfless service, Always someone who I loved listening to, and I know why. Because when he sings, he seeks innocence. He connects with his God-given talent, and he touches the hearts of everyone who hears him sing. He sang for the royalty in Europe just the same as he would sing for a Midwest farmer or some banker on Wall Street in New York. It didn't matter to him. People were people. And he was there to touch their heart. And from the ripe old age of, I want to say, four years old, he touched mine. I remember him as the snowman, Frosty the Snowman. And then I learned more about his singing. My parents had his records. And now I do. There's something to be said for someone who puts his heart and his soul in an innocent, honest, and dedicated way just to touch and help other people. Ladies and gentlemen, for our lives. Yes, he was that kind of man. And he didn't really live a life of super luxury, if anyone noted. Sure, he was well off, but he didn't go to excesses. He did not do that. And so what I want to change into here is, is the idea is, is luxury, living in luxury, actually good for people? Or is it bad for them? From Psychology Today. I've been thinking a lot about this question. Why do so many people envy the way the rich travel? What is it about posh hotel rooms, uber-chic restaurants, pricey wines, and heel-clicking service that makes folks say, I want that? Whatever it is, I've met women who skip one or even two meals a day so they can have money to indulge in such luxury. Men who pin their hopes on advancement, on being seen traveling in high style. Young professionals who spend small fortunes on clothes, shoes, luggage, restaurants, and all the right accessories so they be perceived as highly successful and many others who just dream about living the life of Trump. It's easy to come up with cliche answers to the tough questions. Low self-esteem, dissatisfaction with one's life, misplaced entitlement, believing that spending equals happiness and that more is better. The truth is, this is the way things are. High luxury has high appeal for many travelers and would-be travelers. And that transcends into everyday life, too, folks. New research reported in the New York Times corroborates what all of us driving Hondas have always told ourselves. 
that guy in the BMW actually is a jerk. Well, at least he and the other drivers of Porsche, Mercedes, etc. are more like to blow through a pedestrian-prioritized crosswalk than a non-luxury car driver, according to the survey. We may be inherently selfish, but luxury brands make us more so. Folks, you might find this hard to believe, but there's research out there that indicates men's testosterone levels are affected by the status of the car they drive, and that women judge men to be more attractive the more expensive their clothes and cars are. Can you believe that? I mean, how shallow are we? This is extremely shallow. And to think that most people do this stuff. If you want a copy of the study, please, it's in Psychology Today. Both All, all the studies are in Psychology Today. They reported there. Uh, I do have a copy of the original studies, but um, the breakdown in Psychology Today is probably just as easy for you to read, if not easier. Send it by mail. And so, by the way, luxury goods are also associated with branding of people that suggest social validation. Now, there's a study from Harvard that came out in 2009, which had some very interesting and uh, Conclusions. The first is when people are exposed to luxury brands, the area of the brain associated with self-interest is activated. So the portion of your brain that seeks validation for personal purposes is activated when you are associating with luxury brands. There's chemistry going on there, like an addiction, forcing you to come back for more. Why do I have two, three, four, five, ten coach wallets? I need one. The addiction. It's a chemical thing. You can't just turn it off. Need a 12-step program? Whatever, I don't know. And the second thing is, is when primed by exposure to luxury goods, people are more likely to endorse self-interested business decisions, even at the expense of others. Well, I'm going to get everything I want for me and be damned with everybody else. I don't care that it puts you in a bad position for me to get what I want. I don't care if the kids eat. I'm going to get a new pair of shoes. Might be a little extreme, you think, but I bet there's people out there that have done that. I digress back to the thoughts of Burl Lives. When I sing, I seek innocence and I use my God-given talents. He edifies people. He reaches out to give them a positive message of love. 
He died and the jury wondered What is it about us? The verdict was the blue tail fly. Where we can be so influenced that we are afflicted with the need of an addict to destroy ourselves. His epitaph is there to see Beneath this stone I'm forced to lie Victim of a blue-tailed fly Jimmy crack corn and I don't care Jimmy crack corn and I don't care Jimmy crack corn and I don't care The next segment, we're going to talk about Operation Paperclip, German scientists, plutonium, and how in God's name did this happen to us. And remember, if you missed any of this segment or any of my previous shows, they're all available for streaming and download at VeritasRadioNetwork.com. You'll need a Founders Pass membership to gain access to the downloads for as little as 23 cents per day. Just click the Join button at the top of any page. This is the Reverse Deception Show on the Crusade Channel, part of the Veritas Radio Network, radio the way it should be. This is Reverse Deception Radio on the Veritas Radio Network, Crusade Channel. Picking his teeth for the cop attack, saying, Polly Wally Doodle all the day. Fare the well, fare the well, fare the well, my fairy fame. I'm going to Louisiana for to see Miss Susiana, saying, Polly Wally Doodle all the day. Behind the barn, down on my knees, saying, Polly Wally Doodle all the day. I thought I heard a chicken sneeze, saying, Polly Wally Doodle all the day. Oh, he sneezed so hard with a whooping cough, saying, Polly Wally Doodle all the day. He sneezed his head and his tail right off, saying, Polly Wally Doodle all the day. To have his path made clear is the aspiration of every human being in our beclouded and tempestuous existence. For to see my Susiana, saying, Polly Wally Doodle, saying, Polly Wally Doodle, saying, Polly Wally Doodle all the day. We're giving you five minutes to gather the Pentagon-sized pile of scales that's fallen from your eyes. Reverse deception. We'll be right back on the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. 